welcome back to the HR Grapevine podcast, the podcast series that takes an in-depth look at one of the most fascinating, important or divisive HR topics that is making the headlines. I'm Sophie Parrott, online editor at HR Grapevine, and each week I'll be joined by a different HR journalist as we explore the contemporary practice and most pressing debates in HR within a short podcast. So join me as we properly pick apart what it means to work in the people function. I'm joined again by Dan Cave, Head of Content at Executive Grapevine Digital Media. So welcome back to the podcast, Dan. Uh, thank you very much, Sophie. And I would just like to tell all our podcast listeners that as the roadmap goes on a little bit and that we can now go back to the pubs, I have indeed been back to a pub garden and I'm not just at the corner of a room in my house. So <laughs> I've shared that with everybody. <laughs> well, that's some big news to start off the podcast with today. And as Dan obviously said just now, he's managed to make it back to the pub. And, you know, last week was a big date for people living in England. And as per the Prime Minister's roadmap out of lockdown on the 12th of April, non-essential retail reopened, hospitality venues opened and were able to serve customers outdoors. Those are just two examples of, of sectors that reopened on those dates. So as I said, big day for people in England after months of being in lockdown 3.0, as it has been dubbed, and also kind of the last year of being in and out of coronavirus restrictions. And of course, with this, the roadmap that we've now got from the Prime Minister, in the next couple of months, more sectors and businesses are primed to reopen. Obviously, the dates of which are currently just an indication and are subject to change. So, for example, as part of step three of the roadmap, which is obviously outlined on the government site, no earlier than May 17th, most businesses in all but the highest risk sectors will reopen. Indoor hospitality will be able to resume and other examples include indoor locations such as cinemas and the rest of the accommodation sector, including hotels, hostels and B&Bs. And while this is all good news and is definitely a signal towards some semblance of normality, it's likely to be a really anxiety-inducing time for those heading back to work after so long out of a traditional working environment. And, you know, it's common that people might be feeling a bit scared and anxious when doing this. And this is something that some recent research from Canada Life touches upon. And it was explaining that more than one year after the first lockdown period, the trend of photo or fear of the office is starting to emerge among those who have been working from home for so long and I guess have almost got comfortable doing that. And it seems that this trend is more prevalent among those who have previously tested positive for COVID, with just 34% of respondents planning on going back to the office. And this compared to 69% of those who haven't suffered from the virus. So there is a start difference in those figures. Also around that anxiety, some employees have even said that if they feel forced to return to the office, they may even consider moving jobs. So uh, some 2020 data from our labs found that 41% of staff would be likely to resign if they were forced to return to the office against their will. And this is reported by Real Business. So some interesting stats there that really do kind of showcase some of the anxieties among remote workers, particularly when it comes to moving back to a more office-based environment going forward forwards. 
Dan Crook, who was a protection sales director at Canada Life, was essentially explaining the research that the varied experiences and perspectives of employees must be considered by employers as they do start to develop plans and draw up plans to return to work later this year. Um, and it was quite interesting, really. He was saying that there's no blueprint for a successful return and that employers should really respect the concerns and wishes of their workforce, while, of course, focusing on the best business outcomes. So I think that's a nice soundbite from Dan there. And it really does bring us on to the next question of if employees are feeling anxious or scared about going back, how can HR and employers support them? So Dan, what suggestions have you got? So so thank you very much for, for teaming up for that. As we want to do being HR journalists, I thought who better to ask or answer this question rather than a HR practitioner. So we spoke to Vicky Field, who's an independent HR director and also HRD at both Ed Alexander Group as well as London Doctors Clinic to talk about what HR practitioners might do in order to either alleviate some of that back-to-work anxiety or accommodate it. So much like you've just said from Canada Life's Dan Crook there, um, talking about respecting the concerns and wishes of the workforce, Vicky's first and I think my overriding point is understand where your workforce is coming from and know that you're listening or let your staff know that you're listening to them. Um, she said the only way that understanding can come from, and this might seem obvious, but I'm going to say it anyway, is talking to the staff. You could do surveys, but there's some anecdotal evidence to suggest that the amount of surveys that have gone on over the past year from remote environments as people try to figure out how their staff are feeling, creating some sense of fatigue, and it's only actually one data point to inform how staff are feeling around this subject. So, Either HR should speak to employees directly or do it via line managers who should have a closer relationship with them. Field also said it's better to do this earlier rather than later. So don't leave it to say like a week before you're planning to come back to the office or reopen gradually. So you're basically giving staff a chance to digest this information change. Um, it gives them a better sense of, a, of control at a time when, you know, big changes such as we're changing your working environment can make people feel like maybe they don't have control over certain elements of that. She also said, and I thought this was a really, really savvy point, that anxieties won't just be about health. So although that Canada Life survey picked up that people who've had coronavirus or had coronavirus symptoms over the last year are most scared about returning to the office, that's not necessarily going to be the case for all employees. Some staff might worry about changing their life structure. Some have saved time from the commute. They've now fit exercise into their day. They're nearer kids or pets that they've got or simply changed up their routine and now set in a new routine. Others might have financial concerns about going to the office, whether it's commuting costs, babysitter or childcare costs if they've got to come back to the office and can no longer look after kids or the costs they save on simple things such as making their lunch at home. So understand that those anxieties will be different. Also ensure that whatever you're doing as a HR department it is in line with your strategy on well-being or your overall values and it isn't out of step with that. That has become such an important point over the last year. Time and time again, when I speak to HR practitioners or HR leaders, they're saying, we looked at our values to inform our actions. That has got to be really, really top of the agenda. Of course, then that's all about understanding what staff want and setting up to, to action on top of that. Then you've got to think of a plan. So when you're making that plan, Think of the positives that come out from this moment by looking at what staff are worried about. If they're telling you that they're reluctant to come back to work or anxious about coming back to work, maybe this can feed into the larger picture 
posture about moving to a more futuristic structure of work for HR. Actually, is this a moment to roll out hybrid working? Is it a moment to start accommodating staff's more personal needs and thinking about actually that would be beneficial to our brand, to our adaptability as a company, and therefore our attractiveness as a place to hire top talent. So yes, Field actually gave us a you know a really really comprehensive view there. So that's just one viewpoint though. Are there any other examples that you've seen of companies actually leaning into maybe what staff want, whether it's anxiety about back to work or otherwise? Yeah, I mean, I think that was great advice from Vicky there and just what you were touching on before you handed over to myself, but a key message being around catering for personal needs and kind of having greater flexibility. And I think, you know, the pandemic has given the majority of employees and employers a flavour of more permanent homeworking or at least the importance of having that choice and flexibility. And this is something that we're seeing more and more staff are actively asking for. And particularly, you know, if if staff are scared, it would probably be really unwise to force them back. But kind of dovetailing with what Vicky was saying earlier, the importance of listening to them and their concerns and kind of building that into your strategy. And over the last couple of months, we've seen more companies come out and discuss different ways of working going forwards. And a lot of them will give staff the flexibility and the choice that they are looking for. And, you know, that may well help ease anxieties and worries if staff are feeling a little bit anxious or concerned about going back to the old ways of working. So one example of this is Spotify. And earlier this year, they announced that they were adopting a work from anywhere model. And within this, staff can choose whether they want to be in an office full time, work from home full time, or kind of do a combination of both, which leans into that hybrid approach of working. And really interesting uh, story, actually. And the firm's blog was describing the initiative as a new way of collaborating that allows Spotify's to work from wherever they do their best thinking and creating. So I thought that was a really nice soundbite from Spotify's blog there. I think there is a the key message for employers uh, within that, you know, collaboration for organisations has huge business benefits, but at the same time, it allows staff to be comfortable with where they are working. And further to your point, Dan, earlier about attracting talent, the streaming platform Spotify's HR blog also acknowledged that having a flexible approach to work has great advantages for staff. And they described it, which I think is a really great way of putting it, as a jewel in our talent attraction crown. So it's clear that in the example of Spotify, they're definitely thinking about the benefits of a work from anywhere model in a more holistic sense not just about how it can engage and retain current staff, but they're also thinking about how they can attract new staff into the business as well. And, uh, you know, as I said, there there is an appetite among staff for greater flexibility, whether this is adapting more of a hybrid model or being able to work from home more than going into the office. Another recent example that I think is good to mention is nationwide. A couple of weeks or months ago, they told 13,000 office staff members that they can work from anywhere as part of a new flexibility scheme. This decision actually came after they polled staff on how they wanted to work in future. And the results of this survey essentially found that more than half wanted to work from home full time. 36% said that they wanted a blend of home and office work and 6% wanted to work in the office five days a week. I think that example is really interesting in the sense that they clearly did listen to what staff were asking for. So I've kind of just shared a couple of examples of what different companies have done recently. 
But if we think to the future, how would you say that HR can factor this into their back-to-work thinking, Dan? Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting question. I think from the examples you just shared, Soph, the one that stuck out to me is Spotify saying the reason that they've done flexible working, in one direction, it acts as a really good talent attraction tool, which is part of HR strategy. But that actually comes from, at the root of that is staff saying, or maybe staff showing their managers and HR, actually, I, d- I maybe don't want to come back to work. Maybe they enjoy their life that they have working away from the office. Maybe it's because they're anxious. And I think this actually dovetails perfectly with a good HR mindset to have when it comes to creating work structures for the future that take into account staff anxiety, but also deliver for the business too. So one way of looking at this that I thought was really, really useful was I was looking for how is leadership thinking changing around this time based on Okay, we're in a moment of enforced lockdown. It's really, really scary, I think, as a, as a leader or someone at the head of a HR function to be like, I've actively got to curate the future of work and change my working structures. How on earth do I do that? We've got some staff anxious, some saying they don't want to come back, some saying they do want to come back. What do I do here? And there's one article that stood out for me really, really well here. And it's from someone called Dan Champa, who is US-based, West for Harvest Business Review, Um, a former CEO and has loads of insight and decision-making and leadership issues. So what he gave is basically a blow-by-blow account of how to take what your staff might be saying and turn that into some kind of strategic response. So the first thing that rushed out to me from some of his writing that I was looking into was that you don't have to make a blanket or rust decision on this right now. So if your staff are saying they're anxious, listen to it, but there's no need to go, right, All office work is banned forever. Emotions will change over time. For some people, that won't be the right thing to do. I know it seems obvious, but it is worth saying this. So no blanket decisions, no rights. Some people have said they're anxious now. I've got to make a decision tomorrow. Another point that resonated really, really well, I touched on this at the start of the podcast, is don't put all your stock in surveys as a HR function. They are only one data point. There's other more anecdotal forms. There's informal conversations that happen. There's also the mindset of like what the business needs and wants too. So a data set right now, if you put a survey and say, are you anxious about coming back to work or do you want to come back to work? That's probably going to be informed by people spending much of a year at home or coming off the peak of a massive, massive health scare. That data is going to change over the time. Also important is not just what employees think, but what managers think too. If some are saying they're anxious about coming into work, there's others that might say, actually, and managers are a big part of this, my job is much harder when it is remote. Um, They orchestrate work. It can be really, really difficult to set up meetings and have those ad hoc conversations that are an important part of the managerial function. So take that into your thinking too. Also really, really important as a HR practitioner, if you are trying to figure out actually does the workforce want to come back to work, are they scared, et cetera, is try not to influence the process in that in that questioning. So never really reveal what you want to staff. You want them to be honest with you. So when you create some working structures for the future, they're the ones that work best for people and work best for the business. You don't want to make it known that, say, you want everybody back in the, in the office. People kind of maybe don't say how they feel because they're scared of not fitting into the culture of the business. And then maybe you lose them six months down the line and they're a great member of staff because it didn't work for them. Also, what I thought was really, really good, I know you just mentioned a couple of big firms, Soph, is they're really, really big and they're jazzy. And we all look at like the Spotify's or the Facebook's or whatever we're like, 
what they're doing is really, really interesting. But actually, it's important not to solely be influenced by these big firms. Um, I thought a really good, interesting point was often these are software firms who stand to gain from remote work in the long run. So I might want to be rolling that out at the same time as acting as kind of like a really, really good exemplar of how this works properly. So I guess off the back of that is recognizing the risks to your own business of making a decision either way going, yes, we're going to do like Facebook and work remotely forever. Or yes, I need everyone back into the office. So recognize your acute business needs. It's also on HR. And unfortunately, it always does fall on HR to do this is to kind of represent what people want in a way that the leadership or the executive understands. This is probably the final point of all of this. So once you've gone through all of those steps, cohere that into some form of, okay, this is what our people want, or this is what I think the business should do, and then talk about it in terms that leaders understand. Rather than going, oh, a couple of our staff are really, really anxious about returning to work because they've got, they live with an elderly relative that might be at risk, Leaders might dismiss that because they've got some personal gripe with that person or they see that as a really, really small point and they've got a whole business to to run and that's really important. Rather, couch that in terms they understand. So talk about it in retaining skilled employees, keeping them engaged, recruiting hard-to-work talent, personalizing work, being someone who is a standard bearer for hybrid working. These are things that will appeal to the leadership and it's often on HR to do that communicative legwork in order to come out with a strategy that works for everybody. Well, thank you for sharing that with us, Dan. There's lots of, there's certainly lots of different points to be considering within that. And obviously on today's podcast, we've talked through what the roadmap might mean for staff anxiety, what HR's role is in managing this. We've shared a couple of examples of, of big firms and how they're kind of approaching working structures going forwards. And obviously Dan's just talked through how to make decisions going forwards. So hopefully there'll be some takeaways that will be helpful when planning this in future. But unfortunately, that's all we've got time for today. HR Grapevine wouldn't exist without your continued readership and engagement with our content. Whether that's our daily newsletters, monthly magazines, webinars, live events, or market lead and research papers. So to find out more or to sign up to our daily content newsletter, which showcases solutions and best practice answers to all of your HR issues, please visit hrgrapevine.com. Thank you.